thanks for coming back in a, <laughs> on a timely way, I was going to say. But even that you came back at all, I appreciate. Uh, but not everybody did come back. Some have snuck out, others have come in. Uh, they said they had other things they had to do. Um, I wanted, I got some good questions during the break, and so I wanted to run through a couple of those quickly before I begin the next session. Um, somebody said, well, what about someone on disability? And I'm thankful that many of us have disability insurance and that uh, that can be a provision if someone is legitimately disabled to receive that or for family to help them, or that could be a case where a spouse has to help the disabled spouse. Um, but I've counseled people with disabilities. I think one of the challenges for a disabled person is to really work as hard as you're capable of working. Um, and some of it's things like Johnny Erickson Tata. When she was disabled, when she was a teenager, she didn't say, well, I'm just going to sit around the rest of my life and watch TV. She paints with her teeth, okay? She writes books, though she can't type. And so I think for the person who's disabled, when there can be a temptation to depression, discouragement, or laziness, to say, if you're capable of 30%, then don't do 10%. Do the 30% God has enabled you to do, whether it's income earned or not. And you know, to, to really be accountable because our own hearts are deceitful and we want to um, be, be faithful, diligent, and have other people keep us accountable where we may, we may be tempted not to do all that we can do. And uh, that, that is a, a common problem. Um, somebody asked, well... How can economic inequality be part of God's plan? And the book of Proverbs describes realities that are not ideal. We live in a fallen world. Remember Jesus said, the poor you will always have with you. And there's nothing that's going to solve that till the Lord returns, and then every tear will be wiped away. And so in a fallen world with a broken system, there's going to be economic inequalities. And... That cannot be successfully changed. Those who have tried to get rid of them have created much more poverty and very little wealth, like North Korea. And, but it's not an ideal system. Uh, through capitalism, people oppress others, but through communism, more people get oppressed. So it's all, they're all, in a fallen world, every system is going to be bad in some way. The church is a community of the redeemed when you read 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. We willingly, not under compulsion, cheerfully give so that those in need have their needs met and everyone has enough. And, and that's where we can create our own, not exactly utopia, but a community that reflects heaven by our love for each other. But in the world at large, the poor will always be there. The rich will always be there. Some rich are going to be wicked. The Bible condemns that wickedness. It says we should be concerned about the poor. We're going to talk about that in just a moment. But you can't, through government legislation, solve those problems. And when you do, it makes something worse. That was my point. The Bible acknowledges the inequality. And in a fallen world, the Bible explicitly says those who are lazy and unproductive will suffer. And those who work hard and who are productive will benefit. But then Paul tells the rich in 1 Timothy 6, those of you believers who are rich, don't trust your riches, but be rich in good works and help those who are in need. Um, but that, that is, you know, that's the reality of living in this fallen world. And the temptation of utopianism, of let's all share and everybody have equal, is that people are depraved, and if they're not going to receive the benefits of what they do, they're not going to work as hard. And if they're going to receive the benefits without working, then they're going to be lazy and just accept everybody else to work for them. And in a fallen world, and as the book of Proverbs reflects, I believe, 
the principles I've taught are biblical. But now as we get to study, we're going to talk about how we, especially as God's people, help the poor. Spending money wisely. Again, money myths. I don't know how many times I've heard this in counseling. Money is so tight for us, there's no point to making a budget because it all goes out as fast as it comes in. Uh, I would say, you of all people desperately need to have a budget. And uh, you'd be amazed when you find out where that money's going. Budgeting and keeping financial records is too time-consuming. I'm no good at that anyway. Uh, If you're going to manage your money, you're going to have to learn how it's not as bad as all that. I've had my wife doing it for 20 years, and she's <laughs> not there. She's up in the balcony hiding, but it's not her strength, but she does it. Uh, budgeting is unnecessary when you've got lots of money and you're able to pay the bills. Why make a budget? It's all good. Well, there may be things in the future you need the money for. Owning things makes you happy? No. Oh, but you know, if I'm going to be living in the 21st century, I need the big screen TV, a full cable package, iPhone, high-speed internet. I need all these things just to exist now. Well, if you don't have the resources, that may be those are all places you can cut. Ultimately, actually, in, in this section, I wanted to change. It says spend money wisely. I would put between the spend and money the word gods. <laughs> it's spend God's money wisely. It all belongs to Him. Your money is not yours. You are a steward. Earth belongs to God. The cattle in the thousand hills belong to Him. He's the rancher. You're the cowboy. You're taking care of His cows, His sheep, whatever it may be. His his fields, His crops. And and you are accountable to Him. Uh, The first principle biblically is to honor God from your wealth. To give to Him. Honor the Lord from your wealth and from the first of all your produce. Again, in the agrarian uh, farming culture, you have the first day of harvest. Okay, it's a good day, but it, it, it may hail tomorrow. The locusts may come. It may rain and flood. So let's get all the harvest in, see what we have left over, and then give it to God. Is that what it says? And it says from the beginning. And, and what would the application be for us? Is give to God out of the beginning of the paycheck, not what's left over when everything else has been done. It's honoring Him. It's, it's a means of trusting Him. You're showing that you believe, in the case of the the farmer, that the harvest will continue to go well. You're trusting God uh, to meet your needs. And and, and for us, as as we give to the Lord's work and as we help the poor, it's it's an act of faith. Uh, If you want to know what someone believes, watch how they spend their time and how they spend their money. How you spend your time and how you spend your money is a reflection of what's in your heart. And when someone gives to the Lord's work and they're supporting missions and they're helping the needy, uh, they're saying, I believe this money is better invested in the kingdom of heaven than in the nicer car, vacations, meals out, whatever else I've done. And, And it really encourages me, by the way, to see how believers give. When, like in our church, nobody knows what anybody else gives. Uh, there's no credit. No, we don't. You won't walk around our building and see plaques there. You know, this room donated by or something. And and yet, there's a belief in my heart, a belief in your heart, that when I give to the work of God, when I help those who are in need, that it's money well invested. And there's also hope as as God 
Uh, it says, the generous will be prosperous, and he who waters will himself be watered. Now, again, that's a maxim, not an unconditional promise. It doesn't mean that if you give away 10% of your money, you're, especially to the quack, quack on television, that you're going to become rich all of a sudden. Uh, but there is a general principle, and the same thing is true in, in, in the giving passages in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, that the one who so, supplies seed for the sower and bread will supply your needs. That we, we can trust God as we give responsibly. We're trusting God to meet our needs. That we're not going to regret what we gave. He's going to take care of us. And the testimony, and people in the room are nodding. The reason you're nodding is because you've been Christian a long time and you've seen this to be true uh, to the glory of God. Uh, we're to give, First Corinthians 6 says, as God has prospered you. As God has given you much, you give much. For some who have less, they give as God has prospered them. And they may, like the widow, give more of their little than the one who has much gives out of his much. Um, the Bible teaches that giving is worship. And in Hebrews 13, it talks about that. It says, with such sacrifices, God is pleased. Again, the example of the widow and in her, her giving in Mark chapter 12. Uh, to give shows the value that we place upon God Himself, that He matters to us. Uh, it's an expression of gratitude to Him. Uh, a major emphasis in our giving is to help those who are poor. He was gracious to a poor man lends to the Lord and He will repay him for his good deed. This gets back to the question earlier of inequalities. What's God's plan in the community of believers for dealing with inequalities and those in need? It's that those to whom He has given more because of Christ in them. You know, in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, what's the argument that Paul gives uh, to encourage the believers in the Gentile churches in, in Corinth and in Macedonia to give to the, those in Judea? It's not guilt. He says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for your sake He became poor, that you through His poverty might be made rich. He says, God has so given to you in Christ that He gave Himself for you, that just out of gratitude for that and love for Christ, you want to help your brothers and sisters. And when you hear of a brother or sister in Christ, not just in your own community and congregation, but even congregation you know, hundreds of miles away in their context, on the other side of the world in our context, believers do that. And that glorifies God. It gives us a chance to be like God and, and to be generous. Um, it's not that God needs us. This is also part of God's plan, as he describes in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. Uh, Paul says in Romans, who is first given to him that it should be paid back to him? You know, none of us can put God in our debt. He, he can meet needs without you. He's given you the privilege of being part of meeting those needs, be it in the church and missions or in helping the poor. And then God does give blessing. He was generous, will be blessed. In the context of giving to God from your first fruits, your barns will be filled, the harvest will be good, your vats will overflow with new wine or grape juice for some of you. Um, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 9, Now he who supplies seed to the sower, bread for food, will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. Um, your giving is something that is between you and the Lord. Jesus talked about motives for giving, how people who would sound the trumpet and you know, make a great show of their giving, what did He say? They have the reward in full. And when I go to places, and I remember I went to a uh, so-called Christian university, and 
I mean, every chair in the library had a plaque on it for who gave the money. And every building and every room, I almost expected in the restroom over a urinal to say, you know, this urinal donated by such and such, you know, and wherever. Uh, I felt like they should put that verse, and he has his reward in full with this little plaque here. Um, Jesus says, don't even let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Don't even think too much about the giving you've given, done. That it's, and certainly it's not for churches or others to, to make a big fuss over people who give. But it's also alarming. Uh, George Barna claims that 7% of Christians tithe and 1 in 4 who go to church give nothing. 2.5% is average. Randy Alcorn claims that 96% of Christians give far less than their ability. He also, this is an interesting statistic, one-third of born-again Christians say they tithe, but only 1 in 8 do. Um... That's what they say. Uh, so, honoring God. And it's good for me because most of you don't go to our church. And so I, I feel very awkward ever talking about money, but I can tell you from the Word of God that giving should be a priority in your budget. It's an expression of your faith in Him, your love for Him, your trust in Him. It's good for your soul. And I'm thankful uh, for those who do give faithfully. I guess Marsha would tell me to... And if you want to give to IBCD, Marcia can tell you how to do that too. That's the last I'll say about it. Um, likewise with spending money, um, Proverbs 21.5 is one of my favorite verses in Proverbs, and it is my budgeting verse. The plans of the diligent lead surely to advantage, but everyone who is hasty comes surely to poverty. And if I was to paraphrase that, those who make budgets... Don't run out of money. They, they're advantaged financially. And those who just spend money without making a budget surely come to poverty. Is that true? It's true. 3,000 years ago it was true. It's true today. Uh, Jesus, in, in one of His teachings, says, which of you, if he wants to build a tower, does not first sit down and calculate the cost to see if he has enough money to complete it. Has enough to complete it. Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who observe it will begin to ridicule him. Now, again, I could translate that. The person who wants to buy a house and tries to get a mortgage with uh, introductory low interest rates and no principal being paid, even though it's going to go up a whole bunch in a few years, is like the guy with the tower. He had no plan or calculation how he could continue to pay for this house, and he's going to lose it. So, as you think about budgeting, uh, a budget is a plan to spend every dollar God gives you to His glory. And Dave Ramsey says a budget is people telling their money where to go instead of wondering where it went. You have to make your money behave. I believe for most of us that God has given us, just like He's given us the time we need, and we need to budget our time and plan our time to accomplish what He wants us to do. In the same way, God has given us the money we need if we make a plan to spend it. Now, maybe some who need to work harder or work smarter, but for many of us, the means are there. But I want to make a comment about budgeting time as well. The way you rest is you plan to rest. <laughs> the way you get things done is you plan to get them done. Same, same principle. But with reference to budgeting, um, you make a plan. And if you're married, it's very important that both husband and wife are on board with this. 
and are fully committed to do it together. And then when you make a budget, um, what we teach, and this we're going to go through a case study at the end here is a, a small example, but it's very important not only to make a budget, but to keep records to verify that you're following the budget, right? Uh, the people who have budgets, and if they don't keep records and say, well, you know, I, I make $3,000 a month, I've got a budget for only $2,800 a month, but my credit card balance keeps going up. Well, if you were keeping record of where you were spending the money, you would know where the money was going. And failure to live within a budget leads to what we're going to talk about after lunch, which is debt. Debt is a curse. There are some people, because they don't have a budget, that the debt just keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger until finally the balloon of the maximum credit card you know, balance, they say, sorry, we can't lend you any more money, and then they're in big trouble. So how do you do this? Well, you need to be prepared to control your expenditures when you're making a budget. Uh, he who loves pleasure will become a poor man. He who loves wine and oil will not become rich. That doesn't mean oil that comes out of the ground and powers your cars. It's olive oil and stuff. It's, it's luxuries. So you have to learn to live within your means. Uh, Ecclesiastes talks about the, the folly of thinking that things are going to make you happy. And Solomon says, I gave myself everything. I had palaces. I had servants. I had horses and chariots. Vanity, he says, that it didn't satisfy the soul. Back to Isaiah 55. What's going to satisfy your soul? Not what you spend your money on, but it's, it's God who gives you that for free in Christ. Uh, another verse that the Proverbs says, the naive believes anything, but the prudent considers his steps. And when you're in the presence of a salesman, you need to put that verse before your eyes. The naive believes anything, but the prudent considers his steps. Uh, salesmen are trained. I mean, they're probably salesmen here. It's not wrong to be a salesman if you're helping people a legitimate way. But salesmen get lots of training in how to convince people to buy things they really don't need or to buy the bigger, better one that they can't afford. And you need to be prepared to have sales resistance. And part of having a budget is you ask yourself, and maybe it's not just a salesman, maybe you're, just, you're, you're online and, and there's a great deal, or you're in the mall and there's a great deal. What question should you ask yourself? Not, is it a great deal, but is it in the budget? Have we planned to buy this? And then just don't think that whatever it is. I mean, this is the way it really works with stuff, right? And it can be, a, again, different people have different things. Maybe you know, some people it's clothes. As, as you, if you follow me around, that's not my issue. But uh, some people it could be gizmos and gadgets. And, oh, my iPhone 3 is all of a sudden a piece of junk. i got to have the iPhone 4. And you get a little buzz when you get the new toy, right? And, for boy, for a, a week or two, you're just a happy guy. And then it just becomes part of life again, and the buzz goes away. It, it won't make you happy. Uh, to be careful, uh, you know, researching purchases. Uh, don't be rushed into a major purchase. Uh, heard a story about a guy who bought a timeshare in a high-pressure sales meeting, and he said after he bought it, he slept like a baby. He wakes up every three hours crying. <laughs> 
um, coupons. I, we have on, on Facebook, there are ladies in our church who are like in competition with each other where they say, I went to Rite Aid and I spent $11 and they have a picture on Facebook of a mountain. Now, now what you're going to do with, you know, 75 boxes of whatever, NyQuil or something, I don't know. But, you know, but I think it's cool. It's a Proverbs 31 kind of thing to me that these ladies are trying to, and they're telling each other, well, here's a deal and there's a deal. And, and trying to help their husbands like Proverbs 31 describes by uh, shopping carefully and saving money. Um, you can find bargains. You know, like shopping in thrift stores, Craigslist, garage sales. Negotiate. You're trying to live within your means. You're a steward of what God has given you. And then a key issue, it's a spiritual issue. Learning to be content. When Paul in Philippians 4 says, I don't, by the way, where was Paul when he wrote Philippians 4? In prison. And the Philippians have sent him a financial gift, and they've also sent him a guy to help him uh, minister to his needs. And Paul writes, I'm not that I speak from want in receiving your gift, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means. I also know how to live in prosperity. And in every circumstance, I've learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. Uh, Tomorrow morning I'm preaching in James 1. It really fits with the seminar because it talks about how the, the, the poor man should boast in his exaltation and the rich man should be humbled in his humiliation. And, and why is that? It's because the, the poor man's identity is not in how much money he has in his earthly status, but it's in Christ. And in that way, he's rich. And likewise, the rich man, he's humbled because his status doesn't matter anymore in Christ. It's his, you know, his, his riches aren't what makes him who he is. It's his identity in Christ. Those from Grace Bible Church, you can sleep in tomorrow. Don't have to set your clocks or anything. That's the whole sermon. Um, But to learn to find our joy and contentment in Christ so that our happiness doesn't go up with stuff and down with no stuff, and and it's it's rock solid in Christ, then we're not deceived by the deceitfulness of riches that if I had this, I would be happier than I am. Uh, you know, there's some people who are addicted to beer or meth, and there's some people who are addicted to shopping. And they use stuff like a drug. And this, these clothes, you know, Imelda Marcos's shoe collection, whatever, or this gadget, or whatever it may be. That, and, and you see people like hoarding even, where their houses are filled with boxes haven't been, even been opened. God alone is going to satisfy you. If you got that figured out, you're going to be much better at budgeting. Now, practical steps in making a budget, and we have some handouts, and I'm going to go through a case study in a moment. Um, and, and we have there, actually, there's a section, the front section is Crown's Free Publications Online. And we have some samples of, of budgets And there's one that has page 13 on the back, monthly income and expenses there. And I will take this, and there are also, we have little spreadsheets made up that I'll work on. And actually, an example of the spreadsheet is what I'm going to use in a few minutes in our case study, which is just one page over uh, John and Jane there. And in very practical 
practical terms both in the church and sometimes at IBCD, just to sit down with somebody. Because what I found out is if you send somebody home and say, go make a budget, it doesn't work. There are some people who have never in their lives made a budget. And some people, when you tell them to make a budget, they're petrified because they don't know how to do it. Uh, They wouldn't know where to begin. And so, be it for you or the person you're counseling, uh, you have to go through this slowly. Uh, First, you write down all income sources. For most people, that's salary. And to make it simple, you just write down the take-home salary. And what is your take-home salary per month? Is there any other source of income? Alimony, child support, investment income, regular stream of income from you know, an investment or family member or something like that. Some people say, well, my income is irregular. Some months you know, I'm a salesman or I'm a contractor, and some months is high and some months is low. What should you do? Well, you try to figure out what's the average, and you come up with a conservative estimate. Also, a person whose income is irregular is a person who has to kind of imply the Joseph principle. What's the Joseph principle? During the fat cow years, you save for the skinny cow years. Uh, I had fat cow years in the 80s when I worked in the oil industry, and I've had moderately sized cows since then. (laughs) Few skinny cows. Um, So you make a conservative estimate, and then you write down... All estimated expenses, I would say, on an average per month basis. And so you go down and you could take this with somebody. And there are several examples like that. There are also references in your notes. Uh, both Crown Ministries and Dave Ramsey have on their website some free spreadsheets and budget forms that you could use. Uh, my own observation is that they're all good. The, the, the Dave Ramsey site often is trying to get you to buy stuff from them. The Crown Ministries has more free stuff. So that's my general observation with those guys. But all budget forms work. The point is using it. And so, amen. That's okay. We can amen. Um, so to go down, and, and one thing that's good when you're helping people make a budget is there often will be categories they don't think of. And they'll finish the budget and they'll say, well, what about Christmas? Do you spend money at Christmas on gifts? Because you've got no gift budget in here. Oh yeah, every year we go on a cruise and buy each other thousand dollars. Well, we better put that in there. Uh, so you're you're trying to make sure everything is covered. Something else you have to do when you're budgeting is some expenses are prorated. Like for me, I pay my auto insurance once a year, and so if my auto insurance is twelve hundred dollars a year, what should I do? Well, I budget $100 a month, and kind of using the Joseph principle again, I'm saving up during the months I don't have to pay, so there's money in the bank to pay the bill when it comes. What many people do, who live hastily and not with a budget, is they're going along and saying, hey, this is kind of cool, man. You know, we're, the, we, we can go out to eat more, and, and we can go on a vacation because we've got almost $1,000 extra in the bank account, and they spend it down, and then... The bill comes due. Oh no, what's happened? Shock of shocks. The auto insurance must be paid. That's not a surprise. That's, you knew that was going to happen, but you didn't plan for it. So now you're going into your credit card or you're going on a monthly payment plan that every month they charge you 5 or $6 extra rather than paying it all at once. So you plan ahead for those expenses. Another example would be auto repairs. Okay, 
Cars break. I can't tell you how many counselees, and they're, they're kind of chugging along and they're surviving. And, and then, oh no, my radiator needs to be replaced. It's going to cost $600. If you own a car, you budget for things to break, right? It's going to happen. And so you're going to have months where nothing breaks. Don't spend that money. You keep track of it. And then, yeah, your bank account may grow a little bit, but you've got this money waiting because sooner or later something's going to break. Your tires are going to wear out. Things are going to happen. And so a budget is not just meeting the immediate needs week by week, but it's, it's planning ahead for things that are bound to happen. Uh, another thing to consider is the next car. Okay, Whatever car you drove here, do you expect to be driving that car in 15 years? My wife and I actually do, but... <laughs> Um, no, well, again, do you, when your car finally wears out, uh, or when there's a repair that costs more than the car is worth, do you say, oh no, I need a car, I have no money? Or do you spend the years leading up to that saving money so when it comes time when you need the next car, you've got seven or $8,000 saved to buy a decent used car? You're, the plans of the diligent lead to advantage. People who buy things on credit pay a whole lot more for them than people who save and pay cash, right? So a budget is a plan. And, and so there's, there's both monthly expenses that are always going to occur. You've got your rent or your mortgage and your utilities, your cell phone bill, your TV, your cable, you know, all the things, food that are just happening. But you're also planning for things that happen to everybody. You're, you're planning for medical expenses, dental expenses. You know, what's the deductible on your medical insurance? Well, you better be prepared to pay a good chunk of that in a given year. It's probably going to happen. And so you're preparing for all of that. That that means by the way on that back to that income number, that's a reason that income number needs to go up, isn't it? Maybe you can get by paying your monthly uh fixed expenses, your rent and your food, but if you're not ready for the car insurance payment, if you're not ready to buy the next car, if you're not ready for the medical bills that may come, then either you need to cut down your expenditures or you need to increase your income to be prepared for those eventualities. Uh, and again, there are a lot of things people don't think about. Property tax for some people comes along once a year. House insurance once a year. Uh, another thing I find very practically is that some people say, I have no idea where the money's been going. I wouldn't know where to begin writing this budget because I'm not sure. Well, how do you, how do you help somebody in that position? Maybe some of you are in that position. Uh, what I will tell people to do is do everything you can to reconstruct for the last couple of months. Actually, we're still early enough in the year, starting from January 1. Go through your bank statements, your credit card statements. Most people are paying most bills with the ATM card, bank card, or a credit card. I would, by the way, say keep your receipts. And, and so you go back and try to reconstruct where the money has gone with your checkbook, your bank, all those things. And so figure out uh, where the money's been going. And there's actually a primitive tool that I actually have a pad of this stuff in my office. And it's something like, I'm, I feel like I'm out here showing you a horse and buggy when you've got computers and everything, but I've got this accounting paper that I have pads of in my office that has 13 columns on it. And house, groceries, gifts, miscellaneous, you go through down those, 
And one thing you do, hand a guy a couple pages of paper like this, and I want you to go through the last two months and write down in these 13, you will divide your expenses in 13 categories, and write down every bill, everything you've paid, and then if you total it up, you'll, that'll be a way of helping to make the budget. Now on the other end, once the budget has been made, and there are computer programs that do this. We've got information in your pack. Mint.com is a free program where you can write up a budget online, and it, it pulls in your bank transactions, your credit card transactions, and you can categorize it. You can enter your ca cash transactions. Cool if you want to do that. It's, it's probably the easiest uh, electronic means. But for those who are technophobes or those who are afraid to put your information online, we worked with this for a long time, and it worked really well, and it's actually not very hard. I actually found with the computer, you had to turn on the computer and bring up the program. And, you know, this thing, you walk in the house with the receipt, and now you keep using it to keep track of your expenditures. You just spent $25 on groceries. You write down the 25 You put the receipt in the envelope. Done. Quicker than a computer sometimes. At the end of the month, you add up each column. You see how you're doing. So... I'm actually now using Mint personally, but for many years we used this and just uh, entered it in on a spreadsheet. And uh, my wife and I could go back 15, 20 years and tell you to the dollar everything we've spent in every category. Not always, I wouldn't be proud to show you all of that, but I at least have kept records. So in, in making a budget, uh, you're, you're making these these plans, and can, you, you, you receipts can help. And then if somebody says, I don't even have receipts, okay, well, starting right now for the month of March, you can at least go back to the 1st of March, and let's write down everything you're spending. And, and what I'll often do is we'll, we'll make a, a, a prototype budget based on your guesses for what you're spending. And sometimes it'll be kind of funny and say, well, family is six. Yeah, we spend about $150 a month on groceries. I go, no way. <laughs> then sometimes you'll have a family of two saying, we spend $1,000 a month on groceries. I said, no way. At least if, if not... Unless you're making $10,000 a month, probably we need to help you with some shopping tips. Um, and, and so you, you help them to build the budget, and then sometimes keeping records, you readjust the amounts. A uh, couple of other things that are nice in a budget, in addition to meeting immediate need, I think it's really good, like in a marriage, to have some what my wife and I from the beginning of our marriage called mad money. It could be $50 a month each that you can spend any way you like, no questions asked. Totally free. Now, my wife uses her money to buy things for other people. Uh, that's okay. That's what she loves to do. And even then there's no contention about it because it was her money to do with whatever she wants. So if, if you can afford that, I think it's a great category to put in your budget and it can accumulate. Um, and it can be fun and pressure relieving. Um, and as I said, very important to put in your budget to save for future expenses, education, retirement, saving up for a home. That can be part of the budget. Emergency money we're going to talk about later. But here's the bottom line. Like you look on this form here, total expenses have to equal income. <laughs> now that means including savings. And... If it, and by the way, usually it doesn't do that on the first pass. And what do you do if income is less than total expenses? Well, you go through, and I'll go through with some people, and we'll say, well, look, 
You've got the super-duper cable plan. You have HBO, Showtime. You've got 195 channels. You're only home a night a week. Uh, but you can't afford this. Now, this is, by the way, this is wisdom, not command. I can tell somebody it's wise to not get in debt. It's wise not to live by on your means. I can't tell them how much they're allowed to spend on groceries or whether they can have a television or what plan they have. But I can give advice and say... For a person who's making $2,000 a month, a 60-inch plasma TV with a $150 cable bill is probably out of line if you want to eat. Um, there are certain areas that are big leakers, leaking money. Uh, entertainment is a big leaker. Cell phone is a big leaker. I know sometimes you're on a plan and then you may have to plan to cancel the plan, but sometimes it's overages and getting... Again, if you have a certain level of income, you can afford the unlimited data plan. Some people can't afford that. I know that everybody has one, you think, but you have to have the income to maintain that. And then some people, they're getting zapped for all kinds of other things. You have gourmet foods. Eating out is a huge leaker. And say, well, we hardly ever eat out. Well, $5 Starbucks five days a week and you know, $8 fast food three times a week is a lot of money when you multiply it by the whole month. That's why keeping records. This thing often when people do keep the record, they're shocked. I can't believe I spend that much money on coffee. I can't believe we spent that much money on eating out. Uh, it's it's writing it all down that brings the reality to light. So you may need to cut things down. Buy fewer clothes, cheaper clothes. Live with the clothes you have, and then your other option is to discover ways to earn more income. Second job, home-based business, improve your skills to get a better paying job. Uh, another thing I should also warn, splurges are often the budget killers. We're okay, they're being pretty good, and then they're going to go the, you know, go have the weekend in the Hyatt or the Hilton or something. It's not in the budget. They spend $800 and you've blown everything. You have to live by the budget. And, and if, if you're having trouble with this, uh, I don't have time today to help each one of you make a budget. But there are people probably in your church, perhaps from the deacons or the elders, who are good at this. There are some people who have the gift of being able to make and manage budgets. And if you can't do it on your own, then get help. Uh, our counselors at IBCD happen to be skilled at this. Uh, Tom is very good. He's actually got uh, spreadsheets he's designed himself to help counselees. So, you know, if you're having trouble uh, that... You know, without consultation, plans are frustrated, but with many counselors, they succeed. And so, if you need help, get help. Uh, as I said, and then, then once you've made the budget, you keep detailed records of every dollar spent to make sure you're staying within the budget. Uh, it's simple to do. Every time you spend money, get a receipt. Even if you pay cash, get a receipt. If they don't give you a receipt, write it down on a sticky pad. Carry it around until you record it. Then put it in the envelope. Just You develop a little system. Likewise, you're keeping track. If, be it on your mint.com or your Quicken program or on your antiquated little uh, accounting paper. It's real easy to look down. Okay, we budgeted $50 this month for eating out, wherever that is. And there's eating out. And you're, you write down and, okay, it's the 12th of March... We've spent $49. What does that mean? 
We're done. We've got enough money for a tip for a Starbucks. That's it. And we've got to stop. Or we need to find money in another category. You know, if you decide, okay, well, we're not going to buy any clothes this month, I guess you could go from one to the other, but you have to live within your means. It's a discipline. Stop spending when you run out of money. Identify the leaky categories. Uh, entertainment is a huge one. Running videos, going to movies. Not wrong to do that if it's in the budget. Um, there are various tools which can help you. As I said in our, our handout there, we've got not only some forms you could fill out that would help you, but the, the publications online. There's an article in the back, which is on page 15, how to create and stick to a realistic budget with Mint.com. Uh, Mint.com is a website that is endorsed by various financial magazines. Like I said, it's pretty simple. The way they make their money, which I guess could be a warning to you a little bit, is while you're working on your stuff on Mint, they're flashing ads saying, here's an investment opportunity for you. Here's a place you can save money and buy insurance. So you're, you're having to deal with these financial ads popping up on your screen, but you can ignore that, and it's a helpful tool. Uh, so there are spreadsheets that various counselors have developed and uh, forms. There are also various systems uh, some of you have heard of Larry Burkett died several years ago the ministry he started is continuing Crown Ministries is a very good website got some of their books there uh, Howard Dayton is now the head of that he's got a, a book called Your Money Map that we, we have on, in stock uh, they talked about the envelope system you've heard of that right? now I can't tell you from the Bible thou shalt use an envelope system but for some people it works really well so you know you, you get paid $3,000 500 of that is for future savings. You leave it in the bank. 2,500 is to pay your bills, and you've got an envelope that says groceries. You've got an envelope that says this, that, and you, whatever. And, and you, you, you take money out of the envelope when you're spending the money. When the envelope is empty, it's, it's showing you in a very vivid way. We're done, right? We can't spend any more money. We've got to stop here. So, whatever it takes. Um. And of course, the next section, which I think we'll have a chance at least to start before lunch, the best thing you can do for your budget is to get out of debt, right? Uh, for so many people, they'd be fine if they weren't having to make the credit card payments and the personal loan payments. I'm going to even argue that one of the best things you can do for yourself is never to pay a car payment again. Uh, getting out of debt, and then the, the a big goal being to have your house paid off someday. But when you take those things out of the budget, it's a lot easier to keep your budget. I'll also like one of the problems for the federal government is is the more money they lend out, you look at the budget, and if you've got twenty trillion dollars of debt and you're paying three percent even on that, that's six hundred billion dollars a year or something just in debt payments you have to come up with before you start paying for Social Security and health care and the army and everything else. So. Debt is a budget destroyer. Um, counseling questions, how can we help people have a hard time making and keeping a budget? They've already said, some people require a lot of hand-holding and a lot of patience. Uh, I have actually on my computer uh, several spreadsheets saved where I've just sat down with people and just sat down with them for an hour and made a budget with them. Maybe the first budget they've ever made in their lives. 
And I'll actually hand them some of these sheets of accounting paper and say, go away with this and start keeping records. And uh, what I also can tell you is we've had some remarkable cases of success. I've seen actually one couple I think I first talked to over 15 years ago who've been keeping their records, and they live on a very modest income. And one time they came in, you know, they'd been in debt and all messed up, and they started following a budget, and they said, we've got like $50,000 saved. Do you have any advice what we should do with this? <laughs> and I'm saying, but how can, it's just amazing uh, what can happen. I guess if you, Dave Ramsey has a radio show, and people who get out of debt call in and they scream, we're debt free! And uh, so it, 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 it can be done, and, and that's a place you can really help people. Um, you know, what do you say to the person who says there's no point in making the budget? Uh, you don't know where the money's going. So, many, so often those people who claim it's just going out right away, when they are forced to keep records or reconstruct, you're going to see massive hemorrhaging of money that, that, that can be changed. And back to Proverbs 21.5, the Bible says that the plans of the diligent lead to advantage and those who are hasty comes to poverty. come to poverty. You are hasty, and that's going to lead to poverty. Well, what do you say? You know, somebody says, well, I'm no good at this. If, 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 well, if, if this is something God has called you to do, He's going to help you to do it. You can get help from others in the church or friends or family. Uh, and again, I've seen amazing things in people who have put them... Usually, it's really not, they're not so much that they're good at it, they just don't want to do it. I don't enjoy doing this. Well, in a fallen world, sometimes you have to do things you don't feel like you're good at and you don't enjoy. Uh, what do you do? This is a really tough What do you do if your spouse is unwilling to work with a budget? Some of you, your heads popped up like that might be relevant to you. Um, I think really, if your spouse is a believer, this can be an issue of, of Galatians 6.1 and Matthew 18. You know, if someone is caught in a sin, you are spiritual, go to them gently to restore them. And in Matthew 18, that you know, if, if your brother is in sin, you go to him, you try to correct him, and if he listens to you good, if he doesn't listen to you, what's the next step? You bring two or three others. It's a matter of sin. It's not just adultery that's sinful. It's stealing. It's you know folly of this nature as well. It's sluggardliness. And sometimes on financial matters... It's time to use the mechanism of the church to say, well, if my husband won't listen to me, the Bible has given me the right after going to him respectfully and gently to say, we need help. That we've just blown the money we inherited and our credit cards are near the max and I see we're not acting wisely. He will not listen to me. If he professes to be a Christian... He has shepherds who are under shepherds to Christ who keep watch over his soul. And you have every right, husband or wife, to bring your spouse to the leadership of the church for godly counsel to try to address these issues. It's sin just like any other sin issue. And it really boils down to stealing. If someone's spending money they don't have, sooner or later you're not going to pay it back, right? Which means you're stealing what you're buying. And remember what is first. Timothy 5 say, the one who does not provide for his own house is worse than an infidel, worse than an unbeliever. So church discipline doesn't just apply to drunkenness and to adultery. It also can apply to financial sin and folly. 
Um, what lifestyle best honors God? That's a really tough one. And Paul says, instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future so they may take hold of that which is life indeed. There, there are things in the Bible where we have freedom, where there's really tension. Uh, and again, I think time and money are, are two of the prime examples. There's no description financially of saying, if you've given this much, it's enough. Uh, if you live at this lifestyle, it's okay. You, you can drive a Toyota, but you can't drive a BMW, for example. Uh, some of you know what I drive. Old BMW. Um, which I expect to drive for 15 more years. But um, that the, the Bible doesn't say instruct those who are rich to give it all away. Uh, the rich young ruler was a case of a man who loved his money and Jesus was showing him he had not really kept the law. The law was a tutor to lead that man to repentance and faith. And, and you can't love money and love Christ, he taught as well. But in the Bible you have people who are well off and they're not told to give it all away. It's a temptation to love the money, to hoard the money. It's tension when, I mean, you feel tension. We should feel tension. Whatever lifestyle you're living, it's better than your brothers and sisters in India and China and many places in Africa. I'm going to Nigeria on Tuesday. Uh, part of what I'm going to be teaching is biblical counseling to leaders there. And I imagine I'm going to feel some tension with the way the simplest pastor among us lives here compared to the way some of these guys, especially out in the rural areas, is surviving. And so we're living with that tension. It should spur us to be generous. It should spur us to be careful. But we can't be judging and saying, well, that guy took his family to Disney World. How can he do that with God's money? The Bible doesn't give you the right to do that. But we're to wrestle with those things in our consciences. And then, why has God made you rich? Well, 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 talks about that. Paul talks about it here. One of the main reasons God made you rich was that you could use what you have to bless others. He didn't say exhausted that way necessarily, but to what a privilege it is, what a joy it is to give money to someone who's lost their job so they can stay in their house for another month, or to give employment to somebody, better yet. Uh, and, and to to help legitimately and to give significantly to the Lord's work in terms of missions and churches and other things. And so uh, I think the Lord, it would have been easier if God just said, look, if you give away this much, everything's cool. You know, 90% for you, 10% for me, and it's done. But it's not that simple. We're to give as God has prospered us, and some people would be chintzy only giving 10%. And some people would be giving sacrificially overwhelmingly sacrificially to give 10%. And, and so it's a challenge. Uh, another question that people say was, well, should I keep giving if I'm in debt? And I think you need to be very careful there. Um, it, it's complex. One thing I would say, we're going to talk about debt after lunch extensively, but if you are in debt, it's time to do a budget and to cut back on luxuries till you're out of debt. And it's some radical changes. And you may not be able to, part of the consequence of your debt is you may be robbed of the privilege of giving as you would like and as you should, but I think there also is a place for some measure of sacrifice uh, 
in giving to the Lord along with the other things you're doing to get out of the debt. Um, I however don't think you know running up your credit card for the Lord and then defaulting honors God. So to create debt you can't pay to give to the Lord is foolish and wrong. You need to repent of what got you into the mess, work towards getting out of the mess wisely. Um, a lot of issues there even spiritually. Why did I get into debt after lunch? Can we have a, a case study? There's a separate handout. This is the shortest case study. But you have a handout of case studies. Um, and the spreadsheet for the case study is on page 13 in your packet that starts looking like this. A couple comes in, Ted and Jen. Jen is a stay-home mom. They have three kids, but they're having financial problems. Sorry, that's I'm sorry, I'm on John and Jane. I apologize. Case one. They're newly married. Boy, when you get to... If, if, if John and Jane just knew how much trouble Ted and Jen were having, they wouldn't think they had problems at all. Uh, they would rejoice. But John and Jane, newly married... They hope to start a family, but right now they need both incomes. And they also one day would like to buy a house. Right now they're renting an apartment. And so in the first session, you can see on this page 13 here that um, you have them write down assets, have a checking account, and uh, a couple of cars. Thankfully, they don't own on the cars, but they do have a student loan and credit card that they're paying on. But they're better off. And by the way, sometimes when I'm counseling people, they feel like they're really bad off. I say, you know, compared to some things I'm seeing, like, <laughs> I can't tell you their names, but it's Ted and Jen. Boy, <laughs> you're in great shape. They're to be commended here that they aren't in debt for their cars and that their credit card debt isn't higher. Um, so then you have them work on an initial budget, uh, and then as they go through, they uh, you can see going down the list here. Uh, the, you had them fill that out, estimate it. You have them keep records for a while using the accounting paper, seeing where the money's going, which creates a revision. Now, another part of the revision also is going through with them and saying, well, how could we do better? You know, there are just two of you right now, so $450 seems like a lot for groceries. You've never used a coupon, so if you start couponing, you could probably get that even below $425. Uh, as well, uh, you're giving, and it would be easy for me if they did not go to my church to say this, but I'd say I think it's a good thing to aim towards a tithe. So you might think about making that one go up. And then with entertainment, they were shocked to find out between the Starbucks and the Carl's Jr. and an occasional nice meal out, they were spending $500 a month on eating out. But since they both worked, uh, they often didn't feel like cooking. And one reason why the food budget uh, didn't go down very much under the groceries is the assumption was you're going to be buying more groceries and less food eating out because they're not in a position in life they can afford to eat out. Is it sinful to eat out? No. But it's sinful to get in debt while eating out. And one way they could save a whole lot of money once they'd been keeping those records is to limit themselves to $100 a month there. 
that then would enable them to start getting rid of that debt. Life would be better without the credit card payment. Life would be much better without the education loan payment. And so by spending less on eating out, even though they're not in a disaster situation, it's not a meltdown situation, uh, boy, if they could put that money they were spending eating out into getting rid of the student debt within a year, knocking out the credit card debt within a few months, they're going to have some real room to expand. Also, setting them up for emergency savings and a little bit of retirement savings. But you know, when the car, one of those older cars breaks down, or if there's a health issue, rather than having to use the credit card again, uh, Dave Ramsey and uh, Howard Dayton both talk about one of the first things you want to do in, in dealing with your debt is to have about a thousand dollars minimum in an emergency fund, so that when the uh, little calamities of life take place. You're not using your credit card to get you out of that, but you've got a fund that then you can build up again and spend that fund for that purpose. Um, so longer term, their debt will be paid off, and that will be for savings, perhaps even starting on a down payment for a home. But the other issue addressed with them is... With the husband's income of $2,500 a month, even take home, it's going to be really hard to support a family on that. And so working with John to say, how can we increase that amount? If you want your wife to be able to be at home, what can you do? Are there classes you can take? Are there uh, advances you can get? Other things you can do? In his case... Uh, He's a skilled worker, and he's starting to uh, study for his contractor's license. He's also talking about taking on some side jobs. And his long-term goal is to start his own business in in contracting so that he can double his present income. So that would be a, a simple example of counseling people with a very simple budget. Most people who come to you for financial counsel have problems more complicated than that. Okay, we have seven minutes before lunch. <laughs> if anybody has a question of general interest, I can answer that question. Otherwise, I can give you more time to eat your lunch. So, any burning question? Yes, friends. Just one quick clarification. You said the best thing most people can do for their budget is to get out of debt. Right. So, as a counselor, do you ever advocate bankruptcy as a way to get out of debt? We're going to talk about that after the break, actually, when the, in the debt section. To me, I'll give a summary answer now, we'll deal with it more later. If someone is borrowing money in order to pay their debts, and they see no way in the foreseeable future that can change, they may be forced into bankruptcy. I don't believe in short sales, foreclosures, and bankruptcies merely for convenience. The righteous man swears to his own hurt and keeps his word. But I found many people, when when you're looking at someone, again, concrete terms, you're making $3,000 a month take-home. Just to pay for your rent and your food and your utilities is going to cost you $3,000 a month. You have $50,000 of credit card debt. And there's no prospect in the foreseeable future of significantly increasing your income. You can't pay it. Now, you may confess your sins of the past that got you into this mess, but to borrow more money to keep paying on that debt, a point may come where you have to just run up the white flag and say, I can't do it. But 
just because you can, you know, there are also stories of people walking away from mortgages they could afford to pay just because they didn't like paying that much. And that's, I think, that's sinful. So bankruptcy can be abused, but sometimes people are forced into bankruptcy. And again, general principle, I'll repeat it after lunch, is that if you're borrowing money to pay your debt, you, you may be in a position where bankruptcy is a necessity if you're just piling up more and more debt. Now, before I would get to that point, let's look at your budget and see where the money is going. And if you're spending $5,000 a year on vacations and you're eating out three nights a week, then you're essentially stealing from those to whom you owe the money to live your lifestyle. So, And likewise, if you're not doing your best to earn money, you know, are you out, you want to maximize your ability to pay. We, we as believers should want to pay our debts. I have a friend who actually was forced in a business that he owned many years ago into bankruptcy. And God, in His sovereign goodness, blessed my friend in the future with a good income. And he actually went back to those to whom he owed the money, and the debts had been legally discharged. And he went to them and offered to pay them the money that he had owed them from which he had walked away years earlier. And so our debts go beyond legal obligations, uh, but sometimes we may be forced into that. Anybody Anybody else? Okay, you have until 1.15 to get yourself food. I would also encourage you to drink something with caffeine in it. Um, if that's not against any moral principles of yours. And um, after lunch, we're going to talk about debt and how to get out of debt. And we're going to talk about investing for the future. Let me pray before you go. Father in heaven, we thank you that you have given us much. We thank you that we have not only our material needs met, but we are rich in Christ. Help us to be content in those riches, to rejoice in those riches, and then to be faithful stewards of what you give us. Help those here who are struggling to make ends meet, to follow the principles of your word, and yet we know unless you build the house, we labor in vain. And so we seek your blessing upon our labors for your glory. We thank you most of all for your gift of Christ who, though he was rich and impoverished himself, that we might be made spiritually rich. Help us to go forth rejoicing in that. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.